an outlet or a creative way to connect with people. It doesn't have to be your full-time thing. Maybe it will again at some point in the future, but if right now it's just something that you're exploring or trying in a different way on the side, so to speak, that is okay. What fuels a multi-passionate life? I'm Jessica Wan, and in this podcast, I interview people who straddle two completely different worlds. I call them ampersands, and we are collectively designing the Ampersand Manifesto. I'm excited to be talking with Don Atkins, EdTech entrepreneur and classical pianist. Don is passionate about fostering individual and social flourishing through education, the arts, and creativity. He's been recently focused on product marketing in the EdTech space and also has worked in program management, policy, strategy, and operations in the agricultural and food innovation industries. Early on in the pandemic, he founded an EdTech startup, Studious, which is an online platform that connects music teachers with students. Don, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here, Jessica. Great to be here. You and I started making music together a few years ago, right before the pandemic. In fact, the trailer for this podcast features a track that we did together during Shelter in Place in lieu of a live concert that we'd planned. And of course, you started Studious shortly after the pandemic began, right, in summer 2020. Talk to us more about that company and how it brings together your ampersand. I mean, that's really what it is. That's really what it does. It's been a long journey for me of trying to find ways to bring together the disparate parts of the self. For me, um, I really started from and came from a place of music and the arts, and yet also had these passions and interests in business and policy and was just trying to explore all these different things. And so when I went to business school, I came with these questions, which were really, how do I help artists capture more of the value they create? But then also, how can I use technology to scale? But then COVID hit, and I saw very quickly that music teachers were losing students and were trying to figure out how to grapple with what was happening. The arts were hit particularly hard. All sorts of performing opportunities went completely out the window, and teaching is a significant part of many artists' livelihood. And so I was thinking about what can I do in this space and had been really thinking a lot about bringing that business element and my music background and my experience in music education and music teaching, putting that together. And so I decided to just start a platform to connect music teachers and students for virtual music lessons for free. It's been a project that I've worked on with a classmate, Dr. Joni Chan, who's in the evening and weekend program. I think she just graduated, but she also has a doctorate in piano performance from Indiana University. And she's been a collaborator from basically the beginning on this project. And we both have a passion for bringing people together through music and wanting to find ways to connect teachers and students where we started going was thinking about not just how can we connect teachers and students, but how can we improve the music learning process through the lens of motivation and mindfulness. Don, I'm really inspired by what you're doing with Studious. You took what was a really hard situation, COVID taking away the livelihoods of musicians and artists worldwide, and found the opportunity there. 
I wanted to dig in a little bit more to your original question. How can we help artists capture more of the value that they create? How are you thinking about this question? One of the ways I think about that is when I play a piece of music for someone who doesn't have a background in music, the way they experience it is really different from the way I experience it. Not just as performer and listener, but as someone who's been trained in that field. The same way I would look at a painting differently than um, someone who's been trained in painting. And so there's this element that we talk a lot about accessibility in the arts and in, in music and in classical music, but education always has to be a huge part of that. And so what does a world look like where musicians can earn a livelihood and be valued for what they bring to people and to society? And I'm not sure that that's possible without more people being involved in and experiencing more music and art beyond just the passive listening that we all do. You talked a lot about accessibility in the arts and how important that is to introduce people to a new art form. And I know you've spent a lot of time and energy on projects where you're bringing together community, sometimes with food, food pairings and and music pairings to learn about and enjoy classical music. What's been a memorable moment for you? This was back in 2012, so just about a decade ago now, in Washington, D.C., where I was living at the time. I think it was at... uh, lunch one day with a new friend and he and I were bonding over our shared love for beer and had discovered that we were at the same random bar off the same random side street in Bruges, Belgium at different times. And he was like, you know, I'd really love to do like a beer lunch where we just like pair different beers and foods together. And I was like, yes. And how about we add some music into that? And thus was born a series of ultimately four dinner concerts that we presented over a few years. And um, the first one was a Kulturabend, featuring German art song, German food, and German beers. And each course paired a song or set of songs with a food and a beer. And we talked about the choices we made. We talked about the music. We talked about maybe certain things to listen for in the songs, things to look for in the food or in the beer. It's the process of where it was made, how it was made. And it was really about trying to peel back some of the barriers that come up, especially around how people have experienced things like classical music, or it can feel stuffy in a concert hall. I'm not supposed to clap at the wrong time. I don't know how to engage with it. It's similar to how people sometimes approach wine or wine tasting or just anything that feels exclusive because it actually has been exclusive. When we were programming this Kulturabend, we performed Schumann's Lyrikreis as like the main course. And it's over 20 minutes long. And when we were starting this sort of process, one of my collaborators said, there's no way we're going to get people to like sit still for like 20, 25 minutes outside at a dinner table in a backyard and like listen to this. Everything I've read says people's attention spans is like five minutes tops. (laughs) And After this event, this individual came and said, no, you were totally right. People loved it. They just were completely engaged and immersed. And I think part of that was, of course, 
the music and how wonderful Schumann's art song is. But a part of it was also the environment that we tried to create, which was around giving people permission to close their eyes and let their minds wander. We encouraged people to like take a drink while the music was going on to just like look up. We had things that they could think about, things that they could listen for or pay attention to in the music, but also said they didn't have to. You graduated from Northwestern with a degree in piano performance. Tell us about your journey as a pianist. How did you get into Lieder, German art song? How did you fall in love with it? My freshman year, I think it was my second quarter there, I started working as an accompanist for the voice and opera program. So my part-time job was to sit in voice lessons and play the piano for whatever song or aria or whatever the student was working on. And one in particular, a baritone by the name of Corey Grigg, came to me, I think maybe late sophomore year, early junior year, and said, hey, I'd like to do this song cycle it's called Winterreise. It's by Schubert. Are you interested? At this point, I had never heard that song cycle. So for those not familiar with Winterreise, it is a set of 24 songs for voice and piano. It is an hour and 10, hour and 15 minutes long, written 18, 20, 6, 7 time frame, somewhere around there, right at the end of Schubert's unfortunately short life. It follows more or less, the physical, psychological journey of a man who has been spurned by his love and then proceeds to walk through a winter landscape and think about things <laughs> as, as one way to describe it. I'm sure there are more poetic ways. But for me, what I found in this experience, it's hard to overstate. A couple of things were really important about it. When I think about art song, especially, and something as good as Winterreise, there is an element where instead of the piano part being mere accompaniment to the voice, they're on more of an equal playing field. In terms of what Schubert has in mind for what the piano is doing, the way it's supporting or setting the scene or commenting on or somehow contrasting with what the singer is saying or thinking or doing or feeling, it's a really integral part of the whole experience. And so it really demands a lot from the pianist. That's Corey Grigg baritone with Don Atkins on the piano. We'll share a bit more from Winterreise after the break. Let's reflect on this partnership between the voice and piano, where they work together and complement each other. 
Where in your life do you have a complementary partnership? Outside of hosting this podcast, I coach leaders in the workplace to navigate change, thrive in their roles, and stay true to their values. And I love working with ampersands. If any of this intrigues you, reach out to me at jessicawan.com. J-E-S-S-I-C-A-W-A-N. Now, back to the show. As ampersands, we often tend to be high achievers and even perfectionists. How have you seen these tendencies play out in your life, and how have they changed over time? As a pianist, this is not great, but so much of my self-worth I put in every single performance, right? So if I perform badly, I felt terribly about myself. The mental health aspects of being a musician, not something I was thinking or talking about or heard much about at the time. And so if I performed not up to my standards or my teacher's standards, I felt terribly. And I sort of lived and died by what people said about how well I played after a performance. Super unhealthy. But what was amazing was performing Winterreise was the first time I remember not caring what anyone said after the performance. And I don't mean that from the standpoint of I was unconcerned about their experience. I loved hearing that whatever they got from the experience. But for the first time, I was so engrossed in what was happening and felt like I was so deep into this work that the quality, quote unquote, of the performance didn't really matter anymore. It was simply a thing that needed to be said, that I needed to say, and I said it, and it felt like a release from the way I felt about how I needed to present in front of the world. And that was really powerful for me. And so finding an art form that invited that, invited me into that, was really sort of what sealed the deal for me on leader and what led me to study in Vienna after college and has sort of been a continuing passion ever since. What a transformative experience. So let's talk a little bit about the business side of your life. You've worked in food and agriculture. You've worked in operations. You're now working in product marketing. How has music shaped the way that you approach the business world? I think the most practical way that it has shaped my experience in the business world is to be a musician requires certainly discipline, but also critical thinking, also creative thinking. And sometimes that looks like being able to go really deep into a particular issue and really get to the bottom of something and understand it and then write about it and train people on a new procedure that you've just written. Sometimes that means being able to pick things apart. So I'm thinking about music theory and how you are looking for the subject and the counter subject and the episode and all the elements of a fugue. I'm thinking about certainly symphonic or sonata allegro form. And you are constantly looking at structure. You're looking at different components of something to understand how something is put together, 
so that you might perform it, for example. And so in non-obvious ways, those skills, those ways of looking at things can apply really directly in operations, actually. So taking a procedure or a process like loading sulfur into trucks to load onto ships at the port of Long Beach, there's the same element of looking at something and then taking it apart into its smallest components and seeing what works and what fits in different places and how you might rearrange those things and then come to a new and better process. But I also have a sense that for people who are actively engaged in sort of their business, maybe their day job, so to speak, and then some creative pursuits on the side, that those actually feed into one another insofar as the idea of you're trying to solve a problem, sometimes focusing on something else. There are elements of your mind that are still working on that original problem. You're actually freed up to be able to do that because you're focusing and using different parts of your brain in a different way. It reminds me of Einstein famously would go play his violin when he was working on a hard physics problem. So case in point. Exactly. Perfect example. You recently moved to Michigan with your wife and had your first child. Congratulations. Thank you. How have these changes affected your careers in ed tech and music, and especially the way that you have been balancing these two big pursuits in your life? I mean, first and foremost, the increase in remote work for both me and my wife has been amazing. I mean, it's meant that we are able to work in jobs that are, in my case, based in New York, and in my wife's case, based in DC area, and yet live here in Michigan, closer to her family, as we start our own family. And at the same time, being able to be at home and just be with family more has been really, really helpful for my own mental and emotional health, and has also been really helpful because my piano is here. And so if there's a time, instead of commuting to work in the morning, and it's 8.30, and of course Asher's been awake for one or two and a half hours at that point, and I can just sit down and play the piano for 15 or 20 minutes, or a break in the middle of the day during lunch. The opportunity to, just on those really practical day-to-day ways engage more regularly in the participation and the creation of music, not just the passive listening, is actually really wonderful. What 
advice do you have for people who are pursuing or thinking of pursuing the ampersand lifestyle? Don't resist ways in which the ampersand might connect. The, the elements on either side of the ampersand might intersect and unite. What I mean by that is for a really long time, I sort of put a wall between the two for various reasons. But some of those walls or some of those barriers, I just sort of put up for no reason in hindsight. More specifically and tangibly, I think an element for me was giving myself permission to let one thing be a thing on the side for a while and then seeing where it went. And that's sort of what the dinner concerts were. Just community gatherings, really, where friends and people from the community could come. And it was absolutely a lot of work and a labor of love, but this was outside of our normal day jobs. And for me, it's extremely important to be engaged in music, whether that's just sitting down and playing the piano for 15 or 20 minutes on a given day, ideally two hours doesn't always happen. But having an outlet or a creative way to connect with people doesn't have to be your full-time thing. Maybe it will again at some point in the future, but if right now it's just something that you're exploring or trying in a different way on the side, so to speak, that is okay. I want to dig in more to this analogy of the wall between the two sides of the ampersand. What caused that wall to fall down? My head crashing against it repeatedly. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more about that. It's a couple things. It's a willingness to see that there's different ways to achieve an end. But it's also, I think, maybe a shortcoming of the way I was taught things early on, which is if you are a piano major, then you are going to go be a touring pianist and or a music professor somewhere like that's it that's what you do that's the next step and if that's not right or doesn't feel right for whatever reason the zillion other things that you could do with a degree in music and experience as a musician professionally or just in your space in your community you have to either find them or create them and when you do that when i did that the walls started coming down. And I should say it is not entirely crumbled. There are still elements, vestiges that exist as always. And there are ways and times in which it's helpful to have separate places for these things. And yet to be an ampersand is constantly moving back and forth between these two sides of the wall, these these various worlds, so to speak. And it's easier if there's not a big wall. Yes. What else do you think should be in the ampersand manifesto? What does the world need right now? And for me, I think about whether it's isolation and loneliness or depression or polarization, just to name a few challenges. What is clear to me is that bridges need to be built. And for me, Music has always been a bridge. The arts have always been a bridge to other people, to other cultures, to God, to self. There is something uniquely powerful about the arts because of the ways they intersect with all of these different elements of the self, because of the ways that they tap more readily into our emotional uh, systems. So when I think of the ampersand manifesto, I think about an invitation and I think about 
a bridge. I really think about the opportunity and the role that we self-identified ampersands can play. What a beautiful answer. Don, it has been such a pleasure talking with you today. Folks, you can check out Don's company, Studious, at studiousmusic.com. That's S-T-U-D-I-O-U-S music.com. And you can check out Don's writing at surroundsound.substack.com. I had a chance to listen back on my interview with Don, and I wanted to share a few takeaways. I was struck by how revelatory Vinterreise was for Don's mental health as a musician. Trust me, I totally get the perfectionism that comes with performing music, especially in the classical world. Don discovered an art form for him where he was able to access joy outside of that external praise. I think as I've gotten older, I've naturally gravitated towards music that brings me joy to sing, not the stuff that might get the most accolades from others. And still, it's a journey. Secondly, I hadn't really thought about the overlap between music and operations before, but now I totally see it. Taking apart the pieces to understand how things are put together, this is similar to music theory. It also gave me a newfound appreciation for my own undergrad majors of product design and music. Hey, maybe they weren't actually so different after all. Lastly, something that Don said that's sticking with me is what does the world need right now? What are the pressing challenges? I think for any of us, these are the right questions to ask ourselves. How can we use our unique gifts to solve what the world needs right now? And so I've started to get a little bit into gardening. And for me, this is so similar in so many ways to how I think about music. It's an active participation. There's a physical element. There's a cultivation of beauty. There's weeds, which are kind of like practicing your scales. Like it's a thing that (laughs) needs attention, even if it doesn't always feel like the most fun part of what you're doing. But I think the other part of it is this element of like working with and against nature at the same time. Nature for me has always been a place where I feel I can connect with the divine. 